First, a few announcements. A reminder that the pro-life campaign, 40 Days for Life, is underway. You can see the bulletin for online sign-up links uh, to a calendar where you can reserve a spot and make a commitment to pray outside of the local abortion clinics in Edmond and in Oklahoma City. The annual Catholic Appeal pledge process is underway, and we can certainly use every parishioner's participation to help us reach our parish target goal of $118,000 in pledges and gifts. You'll note in the pews, and I would ask you to make use of the large ACA envelopes that are there to place your pledge in it. You can then place the envelope in the baskets in the back of church. You can also just put a stamp on the envelope and mail it directly. This year marks the 25th anniversary of my ordination to the priesthood, and as I think over the plans to, sip, to celebrate that, it's important to me uh, to have some sort of celebration with you, my parish. So I'm in the awkward position of announcing my own party. <laughs> but I want to give you a save the date alert on Sunday, May 19th. That's May, May 19th, Pentecost Sunday, after the 10 a.m. Mass. We plan to have a reception with appetizers in the parish hall. I hope that you'll mark your calendars and plan to spend some time visiting. Finally, we will be moving away from making verbal announcements at Mass. Uh, while some major announcements will still be announced verbally soon, the parish office will be sending a weekly message to you with announcements. Uh, the reality is so many of us, of course, use our phones for news and information, and so we will now do the same for announcements. And what that means is that you need to choose to be informed by making sure the office has accurate contact information for you and updating that as necessary, and also to choose to be informed by checking that weekly message. Uh, for those who do not use their phones in that way, we will still have the bulletin, and that still remains a very good way to communicate uh, information. I'm really excited about this uh, development and what we can do with some of the technology we have. I've seen the, the test run of this digital bulletin board, and it's really pretty attractive. Uh, it has a lot of opportunities, I think, for us to make use of that. So I'm confident it will be a vast improvement uh, to the experience of Mass, and it will also be, I think, a more reliable way to get good information into your hands uh, as valued parishioners have access to that uh, throughout week, each week. So be looking for that to come soon. If you don't see something like that in the next few weeks, that's probably an indication we don't have a good contact number for you. So it would be a good opportunity to update the office. We learn from our Lord in the Gospel about the dignity and the value of the temple, the house of God. We learn that it is sacred and holy. It's simply a word that refers to being set apart. That which is not set apart, that which is common, that which is mixed with ordinary things is called profane. And the lesson we learn is that the temple, the house of God, is not to be profaned by making it just another place that is not set apart for God. In other words, the profane is not to intrude into the sacred. As we learn that the temple, the house of God's dwelling, is set apart, we also learn something quite important, that the temple is not merely a place of stone. It is rather the body of Jesus. And further, we learn from St. Paul elsewhere in the scriptures that by faith and the consecration of baptism, Christians are removed from the merely profane and are set apart 
made holy, made temples of the Holy Spirit. With a biblical outlook, we are to have zeal for the church, zeal for the temple of the Lord's body, and to have zeal for the temple that our bodies have become. Now, it doesn't take any real effort, of course, to let ourselves exist in the profane. No, that happens daily and quite easily. What does take effort is to have zeal to recognize the holiness of the temple we have become and to live accordingly. Furthermore, it takes effort to transform the way we live in the profane so that something of the holy, something of God, is brought into our daily activities outside of these sacred walls. After all, when we gather here and are nourished by God's word and the grace of the Holy Eucharist and fortified with common prayer, we are then, at the end of each Mass, sent out, right? We are sent out to be on mission in the world to make more disciples. The first reading gave us the scriptural listing of the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments establish relationship with God. They establish what it means to be set apart as belonging to God. They are the markers of leaving aside the profane and being holy. And we should consider the setting of the first reading. It is the Exodus. God's people have been set free from slavery. They are on their way to freedom and the promised land. And I think most of us are fairly familiar with the biblical story of God desiring to set his people free from Egypt. But sometimes we don't consider the finer point of what they were being set free for. When Moses told Pharaoh of God's instruction to let his people go, Moses informed Pharaoh that they must be set free to go out to meet God in the desert to serve him. And that's biblical language for to worship him. That's why not only the Hebrew people, but all of their flocks too had to make the journey so that they would have animals available for sacrifice and worship of God. The story of the Exodus and being set free is a story of being set free for that proper relationship with God that is marked by worship. In the account of the Ten Commandments, the people are gathered at Mount Sinai. There they receive the Ten Commandments. And it's worth reflection that in giving the Ten Commandments, God is doing something almost like giving them building materials for building a temple, a place of worship, except foreshadowing the lesson of the temple in the flesh from today's gospel, God is not giving literal brick and mortar. Rather, he is giving those structures that will set the people apart from the profane to be constructed as living temples. He is giving those structures that are moral brick and mortar that establish proper relationship with him and that make his people living temples. Contrary to the structure created by the commandments, there is an attitude in our time that proposes that freedom is radical autonomy. That freedom means there are no limitations on our desires and choices, no obligations to which we must be obedient. This wrong idea can infect our own attitude toward the commandments and moral teaching if we aren't careful. 
We are susceptible to the ideas around us in the profane. After all, this idea of radical autonomy is a popular one that we encounter really everywhere anymore. I was at a hearing recently at the Oklahoma State Department of Education, and one citizen stood up to speak in public comments about some of the decisions that were being proposed and said quite plainly that there is no such thing as objective good or evil, that there is no such thing as objective truth or beauty or goodness. Such things are only individual opinions and personal tastes, the person said. The idea in our time is an extreme notion that rejects boundaries and limitations if they are not things we ourselves choose. This attitude is present in the ideology of choice and the pro-abortion agenda that rationalizes the killing of unborn children. This attitude is present in those loose sexual moralities, whether hetero or homo, proposing that the only consideration in sexual ethics is what makes the self feel good. Despite the harm of sexual acting out before marriage and sexual perversions, this wrong attitude in our time says it is only a person's intention that is the measure of morality. That is, that all desires and actions are really equal so long as the person doesn't mean harm. And after all, the individual desires are how love is defined anymore, right? It's why we end up with senseless slogans like love is love. To the modern mind infected by secularity, there are no boundaries. And that's just not reality. And so we end up with the rejection of observable physical reality, like the body and the binary reality of male and female. Though far less salacious, this attitude is frankly also present in the way the duty of Sunday worship can be dismissed and treated as if it's only a minor sin to skip the worship of God at Holy Mass. The rejection of the obligation of proper worship is really a rejection of the boundaries that God has placed on our time, that he's placed on our week. And it is a choice to remain profane and enslaved, being apart from God and not living fully as living temples. The Lord demonstrated zeal for the temple, and he was clearly angry at what he saw going on in the temple. And we can know that after all because he took the time it would take to make a whip in order to drive out the money changers. That makes the Lord's angry reaction a premeditated act, not just some random outburst. Some suggest, some scholars suggest, that he was mad that money changers were cheating people with bad exchange rates. Others suggest that the Lord was mad that there were even money changers at all. But the fact is that we don't know that. The biblical text doesn't say. What we do know is what the text plainly says when Jesus turns over the tables. He says, stop making my father's house a marketplace. That is, stop making it a place of trade. What we know is that the Lord was angry that this activity was taking up space in the place that had been set aside to be holy. It was profaning and taking up space that should have been kept apart so that people, not businessmen or money changers, would have room to come inside the temple to pray and to worship. 
The Lord was angry that something set apart to be sacred was being profaned. And that teaches us a lesson about ourselves as temples, that we can't forget that deeper and more important lesson for our life is consecrated, anointed disciples, that the body has been made a temple, and we can't lack in our zeal to keep it holy and to avoid profaning it by being complacent about sin. The Ten Commandments are like moral brick and mortar for our temples, the temples of our bodies. The Ten Commandments are the boundaries that God gives so that we have proper relationship with him and truly belong to him. The Ten Commandments are the foundation by which we, the baptized, truly become living stones in the temple of Jesus' body, of which he was speaking in the gospel. In this holy season, we have a privileged opportunity to recognize just how run down by daily living we can become, such that we lack zeal for the Father's house. We have the opportunity in Lent to correct course, to turn over the tables of complacency, and to chase out the money changers of our busyness and work, and all the things that get more attention from us than we give to the good of our souls. By the cleansing of confession, or by preparation for baptism for those in our CIA, we are given grace to become more truly what we were made to be, namely, living stones in the temple of God, members of the body of Christ, and temples of the Holy Spirit.